Yeah, I've just been drinking way more chamomile tea. It's like it's like nice and soothing and relaxing in these trying times. Art, like I mean, there's a lot going on now and all that, but mm. I'm pretty sure we've always been saying since we started the show that there, are, these are trying times. <laughs> we have indeed, and yeah, my anxiety reflects that. Uh, I've also got. See, you see this? I got CBD oil. What? Yeah, just again. I used to help, give that to help, Herc. Help with anxiety. You give that to Herc? Used to. Yeah. Oh, really? It's supposed it's to help supposed anxiety. To be, yeah. Well, he has that, and he has bad joints. So all together. That, uh, no, it doesn't go in your nose, Richie. I in my mouth. Ah, it's not his mouth, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. It's supposed to keep it under your tongue. <laughs> doesn't it taste horrible though? It doesn't taste great. Yeah. I think it made my dad really sick. Oh God! Um, we got the um, we got the oh Billy's God. bud one. Oh, so someone like went up a nose. <laughs> Told <Sorry>. you. <laughs> you got what? Sorry. Uh, we got Billy's bud, which was like a special one developed for the kid with um, really really bad epilepsy. Do you remember? And then yeah, he went he went over to Canada to bring it back, and then they took it all off them at the airport in London. Yeah, yeah, it's the whole thing. Oh, so what's your cap- one called? It's called Epic Zen. Epic Zen. <laughs> I never read the bottle until now. It's Epic Zen. You're just shoving oil into your mouth without even reading the bottle. <laughs> well, I'm glad I did now because I'm going to get epic levels of Zen. That seems like a bit of an oxymoron, doesn't it? So Zen! I'm so fucking just Zen right now! Oh, Zen! Zen bro! <laughs> Zen bros. Oh, man. Zen bros, like, that's our follow-up podcast. Zen bros. Zen bros. Go, pr- go, go with your mindfulness, bro. Gonna get sad, bro. Epic sad. <laughs> like massive brain gains. <laughs> that is what we do already. Massive brain gains. That's it. Massive brain gains. I've also got. I've got lots of bottles for me. I've got lavender oil here that I use to help me sleep. I just put it on my pillow because I like the smell of it. See, I was gonna say, wow. did you smell it? Yeah, it smells. So gorgeous. after taking some CBD oil, I've got my chamomile tea, and I'm now gonna put some lavender oil around my desk. This is going to be the chillest podcast recording ever. Zen bros! <laughs> oh, I think I put too much around. It's really strong. <laughs> Hold on, Quick, fart some... to balance it out. Uh, <laughs> Hold on, I roll the theme music while I clean some of this up. Or use your use your pillow so you can use it for later. That's not a bad idea. Hang on. What, you surprised? Hello. Yeah. Okay. I think that's. Better. I don't. I don't appreciate how surprised you are that I gave you a good idea. <laughs> Whoa! Steve are said you okay? something applicable to the world. <laughs> yeah. Do you have a nosebleed or something, Steve? <laughs> I gotta sit down for a while. Oh God. Yeah. I, did oh. one, I got one of them brain headaches with pictures. <laughs> An idea. Uh, what are we talking about, Steve? This what is not Zen Bros. This is not Zen Bros. This is what I'm... Politics. The, what I'm politics. Politics. I'm very relaxed right now, actually. <laughs> gonna, you might need to take the wheel a little bit. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a political explainer show. That's it. What more do you want? I'm Steve. And I'm Richie. We explain Zen, things. Zen well, bro number really one. Zen, bro. Mm-hmm. Uh, do we want to talk a little bit about news? Well, Is there much happening? Well, uh, <sighs> gestures broadly at the world. UK continues to roil itself around all its many problems. The United uh-huh. States equally, equally so. so. <laughs> what about home? What's, what's happened in Ireland? Back home, we've been hinting that since our election, which is something like <sighs> nearly 200 days ago now, I don't know, 200 years ago, 200 back, years. In February, <laughs> back in February, we had an election and mm. uh, we finally have something that looks like a government. So, Looks Gale, like a government, walks like a government. Has yet to be approved by the party. So right. Fine Gael, Fianna Fáil and the Greens, who together have enough to make a, just enough majority government in the Dáil, mm-hmm. have delivered a programme for government, which is an agreement that they've been hammering out for five weeks. It took longer, I guess, because of COVID yeah. and all the other things. And 
Now it is up to each individual party's members to vote on whether or not they want to accept it. And each of them have a different system. So I think Fianna Fáil is a straight majority vote on its 20 odd thousand members, um, 50% plus one. Mm-hmm. Fine Gael have a weird electoral college where like TDs and senators get more of a say and then the councillors get a bit of a say and then the national executive gets a bit of a say and then members get about like 20% of a say. Right. And then the Greens are a straight member vote, but you have to have two thirds majority, about okay. 66%. So it is yet to be seen. I think we will know by next Friday the mm-hmm. or Saturday, maybe. Okay. I'm what, sure what, we'll what talk will be about it. Yeah. Um, I recently joined the Green Party. Yeah, congratulations. To put my, my political money where my political mouth is. We may as well, like this podcast is just shy of being, like joining itself as part of the Green Party. the Green Party? Yeah. (laughs) Well, we'll see, because I found out that, holy shit, politics is complicated and people find it very difficult to agree. So, for example, Eamon Ryan, Catherine Martin and the other uh, high profile TDs, well, nine of the 12 TDs have come out in favour of the deal. Three of the TDs, including uh, Nessa Hurrigan, recently elected in Dublin City, are against it. Mm -hmm. And lots of other councillors and party members are pretty hard against it including Peter Kavanagh oh Peter Kavanagh he was uh, there was an online convention during the week Uh, I watched it and he was the first person to speak against it he specifically called out um, there's hardly any provisions to protect the Irish language in there um, something that he's obviously very passionate about Mm -hmm. Uh, but he's also just not happy about all the other things and they're not happy about the potential for austerity with whatever economic repercussions might be coming with COVID. They're not happy about, there's nothing, there's no direct references to housing. There's a referendum on a right to housing, but no like good actionable plans on how to fix the housing crisis. And I honestly think the biggest thing is that they don't like or trust Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael, especially Fine Gael, and don't want to go into power with them because they don't trust them. They right. think they will do bad things and then the Greens will be blamed for having done the bad things. Yeah, some deja vu. People that say you should vote for it, say you should vote for it because we're in a climate emergency, global, worldwide, and there's an awful lot of good climate things in it, according to them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know enough about climate science or climate policy yet. I've only joined. Mm-hmm. But um, Ed Davitt, who we had on the show to talk about the environment, he's in favour of it. So if I had a vote, I probably would vote for it, but I don't mm-hmm. have a vote, so I'm not sure. So shut your mouth. <laughs> How would you vote for it, Richie? Would you approve it? I'd probably vote for it as well, yeah. So and there I will we go. shut my mouth. <laughs> um, yeah, so it remains to be seen what's going to happen. If the Greens mm. don't accept it, I honestly don't know what the alternative would be. We could have like mm. a minority Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael government supported by independents. Right. Or we could have another election. <sighs> Who knows? Who knows? Not us, that's for sure. I think both part. I think all three parties will accept it. Yeah. Is that it? Is all, is all for the news? That's all for the news. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we have an ad to read, but before we do that, you've probably seen from the episode title that this episode is about uh, trans rights, which is something we've been meaning to get to. I know we say this all the time for every subject, but there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. Politics, politics is it big. Turns out. It's very big. It's much bigger than I thought it was when I, fir- when I first asked you to do this. If I knew it was this big. You thought it was just going to be Trump and Brexit. That's it. And it was for a long time. Oh, it was. It was <laughs> yeah. for way too fucking long. I'm <laughs> sick of this shit. But yeah, we're finally getting around to these big, heavy in subjects, and we got the most perfect guest to talk about this one. Noah Halpin. Yeah. Noah Halpin, self-made man, fucking best bit of wordplay I've heard in a long, long time. It's excellent. It's so fucking good. It's he so good. is the founder and, I guess, spokesperson for This Is Me, a, compa- a campaign for trans rights in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And he, we had an absolutely fucking excellent chat about the issues around trans rights and what can be done to make the world a bit easier for people who are trans. Yeah, we did that before I took all the CBD oil, chamomile tea and lavender oil. And so I was a little bit more on, a little more snappy, a little bit more on my game. Right now I'm... Um, You're just wilting. Get a, get a bit fuzzy, Steve. <laughs> not going to lie. So, uh, so we'll before do we get ad. too fuzzy, we should do our ad. <laughs> we'll do an ad. We'll do, we have another ad. It's, it, if, you, if you listen to our last episode, this one should be familiar. Uh, we're here to plug What Do You Want to Know podcast, uh, a splainery type podcast. Yeah, a bit Can similar to this. But better, but better uh, maybe. No. No, okay. But similar e- to us. Equal, equal perhaps, to. Perhaps equally good. Please go and listen and make your own judgment. It yeah. is, it takes curiosity as its inspiration. Every episode mm. will feature a guest expert answering questions posed to you about specific posed by you about specific topics so this is the kind of thing where you listen in you send in what you want to know more about and then they'll go and get some experts to explain it yeah so stuff like well, you know sign language or That's the first what episode is, yeah what's 5g network really all about 
And then, of course, yeah, you can suggest all your own stuff. So there's one episode out currently yeah, on sign language. There's a link in the description. So please feel free to go check that out. Please do. What do you want to know? Richie, what do you want to know? I want to know more about trans rights. Well, look at that. Look at that for a segue. We don't have to write into what you want to know podcast because we went ahead and sorted that ourselves. Yeah, we talked to Noah Halpin, as we mentioned. God, check the show notes for the picture of a king... The, 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 the small horse we talk about almost immediately. I'm all about this horse. This, this is just my whole my whole brand right now is this horse. So you started off by asking Noah the very important questions. Yeah, indeed. Let's, uh, let's listen to those right now. My camera is not working on my laptop. I was going to say, you just look like a big N. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um... It's not working. Can it be done without the camera? Of course. Yeah, absolutely. Can and you see our beautiful faces? I can. You're both gorge. Great. <laughs> That's all that really matters for our like, <laughs> egos. <laughs> we can also turn off our cameras as well if you don't want to have to get distracted by our beauty. No, you're grand. Don't worry. <laughs> don't deprive the man of the pleasure, Stephen. God, how unprofessional of you. Should we just get into it? Sure. Cool. Um, now... I don't know if you can hear. I've got all my notes here. Uh, we'd like to start with like the big, heavy questions, Noah. Right. Um, so I want you to respond to um, <laughs> alleged. Allegedly, you have. Well, let me find the, the right thing. Okay. Um, you have a, a small horse called King. <laughs> I do not have a small horse. My, <laughs> my one of my best friends owns multiple small horses. One of which is called King. I see. I see. And uh, um, also, dogs. Do you have dogs? <laughs> And how cute. Um, I did have three up until a year and a half ago. We lost one. And then up until about three weeks ago, we lost another. So we have one left. Oh, God. I know. I know. Happy hitting questions. I thought this was going to be (laughs) lighthearted. We do have a beautiful dog and his name is Bernard. Um, And poor Bernard got five teeth taken out the other day. Oh, God. What happened? He just got... He's 11, so, I mean, mm-hmm. tooth problems. But it was the first time he's ever been to the vet in his life other than vaccines. So, I mean, we've had a good run. Yeah. Good going, Bernard. What <laughs> yeah. about King? Tell me more about King, because I saw King on your Instagram and I'm kind of obsessed and, and he's all I can think about. Uh, well, King is a uh, Shetland pony. He belongs to the Royal Stables uh, out in... Um, Lusk, uh, my friend uh, Georgia, she she owns quite a lot of horses out there and about three or four minis that she has too. But King is my my little favorite because he's the yeah. smallest. <laughs> Aww. Do you ever feel tempted to just surround King with like quarter scale objects and make yourself feel like a giant? Uh, I mean, yeah, I like I'd love to be able to, to even, you know, sit on him but he can't obviously because he's too small and i'm much too large but we do i mean he's worn every kind of costume you could ever think of i mean if you go to the royal stables uh facebook page they they are celebrating pride at the minute and king is lovely donned in all his pride gear (laughs) i'm gonna add a link to that in the show notes because the world needs to see this yeah definitely (laughs) so noah um apart from telling us about your animal adventures um we have you on to talk about uh, trans rights and the politics of trans issues. So what, um, would you be able to just briefly um, tell us about your own personal story and I guess how you became a, spokesper- a spokesperson for this for this issue? Um, yeah, I, you know, growing up, I always knew that there was something uh, different about me. I wouldn't say wrong. There's nothing wrong with being trans at all, um, but something different. Um, and, you know, I always felt like I was a boy and that at some point I was going to grow up to be one. Um, and, you know, as a child, I used to, you know, I asked for Action Man for Christmas. It was football in the yard with all the boys. It was... What, can I interrupt ask what Action Man you had? Because I was um, obsessed with Action Man God, too. I had loads of them. Because um, I had the one, he was the, he's my favourite one and I still think about him sometimes. He, there's like a little lever on the back of his, his head <gasps> and you moved it back and forth and his eyes just did this. This is the coolest thing ever. He just looks his superpowers. He looks suspicious. I did have him. I did have that one. He looked super shady. Mm. Amazing. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Continue. I just, it just, I just came back. Moment of this overwhelming nostalgia. No worries. Um, yeah. So, you know, childhood, there's, you know, we, we aren't as aware of gender as we are when we get a little bit older. Um, and I remember, you know, going through, starting to go through puberty, which I hit 
at quite an early age, about 11, and, you know, hating the fact that that was happening because, you know, I wasn't allowed to wear swimming trunks in the pool anymore. And I remember just hating that time. Um, and it took a long time for me to figure out. I was kind of saying, you know, am I gay? Am I bi? But then I, I knew I, I wasn't into women. So I was going, there's something going on here. I just don't know what it is. And uh, it wasn't until I was about 15 or 16 that I actually learned the word transgender. So, you know, people often ask me, when did you first know you were trans? And I always say, when I first heard the word. Um, and it was a documentary I'd watched uh, when I was a teenager. And I said, oh my God, that's it. This is, there's nothing wrong with me. That's, you know, there's a name for it and it's transgender and that's what I am. Uh, and it just kind of went from there. It took me a long time to actually be able to come out because unfortunately, you know, I was in an all girls boarding school. So although it was a great school, it wasn't the right environment for me to come out. Um, and it took me quite, quite some time. I went off to Australia for two years after I finished school and kind of just got to know myself a little bit better then. And I came home and you know, 2016, I said, that's it. I said, I'm coming out. I can't, I can't be closeted anymore. And I kind of went from there, cut my hair, changed my clothes. And it, yeah, I've not been happier since. Amazing. Can you tell us a little bit more about the process, like within the context of Ireland, like the, the gender recognition certificate and how that works and how that might differ from other places? Yeah. So we actually do have some of the best gender legal gender recognition legislation in the world um it's a very easy process so that was um the gender recognition act was enacted in 2015 in july so we're coming up to the fifth anniversary of gender recognition which is a big deal but it was after years and years of fighting by one lady in particular, Dr. Lydia Foy, who fought the court system and lost and went back and appealed and did this for years and years from, I think it was 1992 is when she first began fighting. And so we we very much owe the Gender Recognition Act to Dr. Lydia Foy, um, as well as a lot of trans people who, who then kind of helped and took over the baton and, 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 you know, were involved in government talks and, and reviews and all this kind of stuff. So, what we have in Ireland is basically self-declaration. So we can self-identify our gender identity. And that means we can, you know, we fill out a form and we send it off and it comes back, uh, a a gender recognition certificate comes back within just a few days, um, which you can use to change your details on, on all your documentation and your birth search, your passport, um, things like that. But the problem is it's, it's a binary piece of legislation. So it doesn't include non-binary people. Um, and it also doesn't cater for trans people under the age of 18. Um, so there's a lot left to do on the legislation. Um, but it has been a wonderful thing for the trans community, for binary trans people. And even the process itself, like how difficult was it to go through it? Did you have to go to lawyers? Did you have to go to doctors? Did you have to go to anybody? Or was it literally just downloading a form and posting it in? Yeah, it's literally just downloading a form and, and posting it to the offices. But, that, you know, if you want your your name um, on on your certificate, you have to uh, change your name by deed poll first. So that means you have to go to a solicitor, um, you know, have a witness, have them sign it. You have to enroll it in the high court and pay the 60 euro stamp duty. And once you get your deed poll back and it's enrolled, then you apply for the gender recognition certificate. So it's the little bits beforehand that are tricky, but the gender recognition certificate itself is very, very easy to obtain. How about, so that's like on the bureaucratic side. Um, how about from a surgery side? Like how, how is Ireland equipped for that? Well, Ireland's healthcare for transgender people is like, it's on its knees. It's it's not sufficient. Um the access is very little. Um, we only have one con- or one clinic uh, provide called the National Gender Service, and there, you know, there was three and a half year waiting list for that. It did last year cut down to about fifteen, um, but then they realised they had lost uh, over one hundred and ten referrals, um, which then put the waiting list back up to about twenty months and. With COVID, oh. we're going back, I'd say we're about 24 months now um, to see someone. So first you have to be uh, referred by your GP and bearing in mind that not many GPs know where to refer people. So um, 
you know, it's signposting your GPs. Once you're referred to the service, now there's about a 22 to 24 month wait. But we use in Ireland what's called a psychiatric model of care, um, which goes against international best practice standards of care. Um, we should be using an informed consent model. So it means that we still have to be put through um, multiple psychiatric assessments by this clinic um, you know, and diagnosed with uh, a psychiatric disorder before they'll even consider treating us. Um, you know, and oftentimes they'll delay or re- refuse treatment to people who might have autism, people who might not have supportive family or, you know, all of which doesn't, you know, treating a trans person can only help them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's, it, it shouldn't be a psychiatric model and it goes, uh, international best practice is what's called WPAT, the World Association for Transgender Health, um, and their best practice standards of care, what should be used, uh, mm. In Ireland, and we're very, very much behind here uh, with the model of care that we use, and we don't have any surgery options. Two years is a long time to wait to then have to go through something as traumatic as that. Well, it's a way for a treatment that GPs provide to cisgender people every single day. Yeah. So, hormone replacement therapy for trans people isn't any different to hormone replacement therapy for for cisgender people. So, you know, our GPs know how to prescribe this; they can prescribe it, but they, you know they're fearful of any repercussions from uh, the gender clinic itself. Is there um, much in the way of reform on the table? So the Simon Harris did announce a um, transgender healthcare steering committee last year um, and he appointed me onto that committee. So we have been working um, throughout the year um, I'm on it as his representative. Um, there are representatives, two representatives from TENI, the Transgender Equality Network, and the rest of the people on the committee are either Department of Health officials or um, national clinical leads, uh, clinicians, things like that from relevant departments. Uh, so we've been working hard uh, the past year on that committee, and we did conclude in January Um and we have a report that had been sent to Simon Harris. Now, unfortunately, it was sent just as, you know, COVID started coming into the country. So I, I'm sure uh, Simon Harris has that, but has not had the time to look at it just yet. But hopefully some of the recommendations and, and uh, some of the uh, the things that we have reported on will help make some positive change. In, in, and I hope that Simon does still stay in the Minister for Health position, because if not, we're not quite sure where that report will go. And um, I think we've skipped a step. So we've 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 gotten into the hard politics of, um, of you working on the report. But um, just to, to briefly take us back, you, yeah. st- you started an organisation called This Is Me. Um, can you talk about like how you came to to want to actually start this organisation and then what kind of work you guys were doing? Yeah, so I, it it started a bit selfishly, <clears throat> actually. Um, I had gotten a letter to say that my previous referral to the clinic had been lost for a second time. So, oh. yeah, I got really upset and I started looking online and I figured out, like, I'm not the only one having this experience. Like, nobody can access this service easily and the stories I was reading and I did what any angry, upset uh, trans guy did and I got drunk and I created a event page on Facebook (laughs) for a protest. Um, And I woke up the next morning kind of mortified and I went to delete uh, the event page and when I went on to it, the response was just like, yes, we'll be there, this needs to change and I was like, okay, never organized a protest in my life, but let's just do it. Um, and the media started getting on board and I hadn't a clue what I was doing, but we did it. And a few hundred people turned up that day. Uh, and that's when I realized that it can't just be a protest. This has to be a campaign. It can't stop. Um, we have to keep going. And um, we, you know, we organized another protest a few months later. I spent the first year and a half just in meetings with politicians, anyone who'd listened to me. Um, you know, I think I was did 130 meetings in a year um, with politicians, be it senators, ministers, TDs, um, you know, and people came on board then and, and started helping out. And, you know, Simon Harris did say that he would meet with us. Um, and he, this went on for like a year and a half and he still, still hadn't met with us. So there, comes a time where, you know, when you're running a campaign like this is me and you're being 
promised the world, but nothing is happening. You know, political niceties end at some point. And we decided to get a little bit radical and do a sit-in in the Department of Health on the ground. Wow. Um, yeah, that was last year. That was uh, March of last year. Um, it was all very secret, hush-hush, but uh, we had a couple of journalists tipped off and we had a couple of politicians in the doll tipped off to be asking him questions at the same time as we were sitting there. So, um, yeah, we went in, we sat on the floor and we said, we're not moving until we get the meeting that he's promised us multiple times. Um, and it was interesting. I mean, we were there five and a half hours um, we were threatened with like forced removal and all that. But I mean, let's, let's be honest, they're not going to be seen to be carrying trans people asking for the rights of the Department of Health. Do you <laughs> well, know it's what not I mean? a good look. No, it's not a good look. And we knew it wasn't going to be. So we kind of stuck our ground and, uh, Five and a half hours later, some someone from his office came down and said that he'd meet with us. And I said, that's fine. You just give that to us in writing and then we'll be off. Um, which they did. And um, Simon stuck to his word and did meet with us uh, just two weeks after that. Wow. And did this, is that what led to the to the um, steering group appointment? Yeah, um, pretty much. Um, I sat in a meeting with him and I explained what was going on. And, you know, I, I always have maintained that he didn't know what was going on because he's the Minister for Health. He's only told what he needs to be told. Um, and when we explained that he was genuinely surprised um, and he was really receptive to suggestions uh, and he said, let me go off and investigate this and we'll meet again in a couple of weeks. And he did. He went off, he investigated, he came back and he said, you know what, you're right. This is going on and we need to do something to change it. And that's when he... Um, developed and appointed me onto uh, the steering committee. Fantastic. So essentially, if you hadn't staged that sit-in, there might not have been a steering committee. Well, you never know. I mean, Tenny, the Transgender Equality Network, were doing great work in the background. Um, it might have happened at some point, but I'm not sure. Maybe the sit-in and the, uh, the publicity it got gave him a little push to, to do it maybe a little bit quicker. Um, but... I mean, we've seen small changes even from when the campaign started and the amount of media we've been able to attract and inform, you know, we have seen small positive changes to the service. I mean, we now have uh, a dedicated social worker in the service, which we never had before. Um, we have a speech and language therapist in, uh, the, um, in the clinic, which we never had before. Uh, more admin and nursing staff are hired. Uh, so, and, and more uh, team members for the psychiatric team were hired. So, you know, we have seen little positive changes since we started the campaign. Um, the waiting list, although still extremely long, has short has is considerably shorter. Uh, but unfortunately, we're going backwards when it comes to surgery. We just we don't have any surgery options in this country. I think um, I read in maybe it was your GoFundMe page or something like that that there are surgeons trained in the same kind of surgery but they mostly concentrate on um cancer care but and and don't is it and then don't want to do it for what they would consider cosmetic which isn't an appropriate title but is is it the case that we need doctors specifically trained in transgender surgery or is it that we need to tell the doctors who are already performing similar surgeries to open it up yeah so there are plenty of um, plastic surgeons in this country that perform, say for me, it would be a double mastectomy that I would need that can perform that and do on a da almost daily basis, but mainly for, for people with um, breast cancer. Now there is a, a little difference in that there's a, a you know, there's an aesthetic aspect of um, a double mastectomy for trans people. You know, a lot of trans guys would just like it very flat and clean um, looking but we do have surgeons that can provide it uh, and we're not, they're not being, they're not taking trans patients. I mean, we have a lot of trans women would, um, you know, ha have their chest surgery uh, with breast enlargement and things like that, which every plastic surgeon in the country or cosmetic surgeon in the country can do. Um, but we don't provide it for trans people. So it's, it's, we did have one surgeon who retired last year, unfortunately, um, so now it's a case of we all have to go abroad. We all are, I mean, it sounds familiar, but sending our trans citizens abroad for invasive procedures and 
it's just little to no aftercare when we come home. Well, hopefully that'll be one of the things that would be fixed soon enough. Um, we're talking about these things in terms of um, the treatment of it and the recognition of it. But then in terms of like culturally, how much transphobia is there in Ireland? Would you say it's, is it an endemic problem or is it something that is getting better over time as people become more educated? It's Ireland is society wise quite a very safe place to live for transgender people, um, which is a good thing. Um, we don't see as much violent uh, crime towards trans people. We don't see, you know, the level of murders that we see in the likes of the United States and Brazil and things like that. Um, so societally, we are we are quite a safe country to live in. However, we're starting to see this transphobia seeping in from across the water over in the UK and, mm. um, you know, different international personalities who are, you know, just launching attack after attack on the trans community. And it was something that seemed to be kind of staying in the UK, but we're starting to see it coming over here a little bit and in an organized way, you know, people who are trans exclusionary radical feminists, but most, uh, often politely call themselves gender critical, uh, they, they have been recently launching numerous attacks on trans people and, um, you know, spreading misinformation about, you know, m treatments for trans children and things like that. It's all scare tactics and we're seeing it seep in a little bit. But I would say society, like, I, I feel safe walking down the streets of Dublin um, and many trans people would, some wouldn't. But, um, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're, we're quite good here. Um, we touched on it there, possibly the most infamous recent example of um, of this turf dumb would be J.K. Rowling. Um, yes. And like Harry Potter and the Order of Turf Dumb or whatever um, the headlines are calling it these days. But the, like, can you talk a little bit just about like how does it feel and how impactful is it um, to wake up and see like a bunch of headlines about this really influential figure in especially a lot of like our generation's upbringing as well. Like what it's like to hear this kind of rhetoric from her, and and like how that how that ripples out to, to to everyone else. For me, fortunately for me, I've developed a very thick skin um, over the years. So personally, it does bother me. I mean, it's really difficult scrolling through Twitter and just seeing constant conversation about people just like you and. Uh, the lies that go with it and it, it can be really quite damaging. Sometimes I've had to step back from the internet for, you know, half a day and say, you know what? I just don't want to look at any of that. But I worry mainly for younger trans people, um, you know, who might be exploring their gender identity might be, you know, might have decided, um, you know, that they're going to come out, but then that might set them back again through fear. Um, you know, I, it scares me. It scares me in terms of young trans people who might not have been able to build up as much of a resilience yet. But it's also really heartbreaking for like a ton of queer people who've been huge Harry Potter fans all their lives. You know, a lot of um, young queer people who really identified with that boy in the closet who found his tribe and then realized his power. I mean, what, what queer person wouldn't identify yeah. with that? And you know, I've been speaking to a number of trans people over the past few weeks who are really upset and saying, I, I don't feel like I can love my favorite story anymore. And, you know, it's something I thought about and I, I, I think you can. Um, I, I've recently learned a term that was created by literary, uh, literary critics in the mid 20th century. And that's a, a term called death of the author. Now, it's not as morbid as it sounds, <laughs> but it means that, you know, a book is not for the writer, it's for the reader to interpret. Yeah. So you can't bring uh, an author's biographical facts or beliefs into their stories. So, you know, that's what I'd say to people. The book is not the author. Uh, you can still love Harry Potter. You can still identify with all the characters, but it is heartbreaking um, to see someone who has a huge following as well. So mm. she's, you know, someone who's a highly privileged woman um, highly wealthy woman and has a massive following and a lot of influence. And she uses that following that privilege and that influence to, to attack a, a community that is, you know, the average life expectancy is 35 and we're being kicked already 
you know, constantly it's a, my mind kind of boggles a little bit as to why you'd use your influence for, for something like that. Yeah. Um, I, I think Daniel Radcliffe's comments were a really wonderful salve to, to everything that she was saying. You had to have a voice, like the, perf- the person who's probably the closest embodiment to the character of Harry Potter coming out against her comments. Yeah. So, and multiple, um, multiple actors that were in the series have, have come out. I know Emma Watson did. Um, and oh God, I can't remember her name. Oh, a couple, of, a couple of them, anyway, mm. have have you know stood with the trans community the through new this. Guy too, I can't remember his name. Who's in the new movies? Oh, um, uh, Eddie Redmayne. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the Fantastic Beast one is yeah. that? It? Yeah, um, yeah. It's great seeing it. It's 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 really wonderful seeing it. But I think as well, sometimes the media gets so caught up in this tag game of what did J.K. say? Hmm. Oh, what did Daniel say? Hmm. What did what did Emma Watson say that often they forget to listen to the victims and they forget to listen to the trans community. Um, you know, it's very simple to get tied up on following the latest celebrity goss, but you know, the voices that you really need to hear in situations like this are trans voices. And yeah, people a lot need of to the hear. media attention is like on people like Graham Linehan, the creator of father Ted and JK Rowling, but not actually on the trans people who they were talking about. Exactly. And it's like a, me- a media tag game, a celebrity tag game. And, you know, listen to trans people and how it's affecting us. I mean, the, you know, the suicide rates in, in transgender young people is, is, is huge. Um, and, you know, the, the mental health issues and it's mainly caused by societal mistreatment. Um, so listen to trans people. You know, if, if a trans person is telling you it's transphobic, it's probably transphobic. If a black person's telling you it's racist, it's probably racist. You know, yeah. <laughs> listen, listen to the people it affects. I think it was especially tragic as well, because if I remember the um, like the Pottermore website, the one that had the which house are you in? That was actually developed by by the Harry Potter fan community. And I can't remember the individual in question, but they were actually they were a trans person who took great inspiration and love and joy and hope out of Harry Potter. And I have noticed that Pottermore is now no more. And wizarding world which is jk rowling's one is now taken over and you can't even do the the witch house are you in test it's so crazy because like the idea of like she, she oh it makes me mad because like the idea of the sorting hat like the, it, narratively it's about choice and it's about who you want to be yes you know what i mean like there's so, like, there's so many hypocrisies when you read into the actual like the to, to the content <laughs> i know and uh, another thing that it, like there's so many twists and turns and different characters and different plots and different stories that are really like identifiable for a lot of people in the LGBTQI plus community. But then you look at, I, I only realized this, I've never been a Harry Potter fan, thank God. Um, but so I never really read into it, mm. but you like, I'm reading these things now saying, Oh, a character name is the same name as, you know, uh, pa- someone a pastor in America who was, uh, you know, leading the charge on conversion therapy. And I'm like, has, have these like negative tones been in here from the beginning and nobody noticed? Wow. I've heard that. So what, um, what media content did you grow up with apart from action man? Who was your, no, who was your go-to heroes? <laughs> uh, growing up, um, I was a or rugby now. head. Oh, well, as a child, I would have been a rugby head. So I would have been, um, Brian O'Driscoll would have been, one of my heroes growing up, but now my, I think my biggest hero is, is Lydia Foy, Dr. Lydia Foy. Um, that woman never gave up. She, she's outstanding. And she fought and lost and fought again and lost and fought again and lost. And she never, ever stopped. And the reason I can live as a transgender man in Ireland quite comfortably. And the reason I can have my, my true, uh, identity on my my legal documents is all because of that like one woman who wouldn't stop fighting um even whenever i told her she was going to lose again and again she just said nope gonna keep fighting keep fighting the reason we have gender recognition in this country is because of that lydia um you spoke a little bit earlier about um the reform that still needs to be done to the gender recognition act the, the idea that's still too binary and that it's not available to, um, to people under 18 um, could you talk a little bit more about that and like maybe what you would say to some critics who say that you know maybe people under 18 shouldn't be given access to these treatments and just kind of like what, what's at play there? So in terms of um, medical treatments, I mean, it's already 
super difficult for an adult to obtain that, let alone a child. So, you know, there's a lot of this, you know, harmful and untrue narrative that, you know, we're giving hormones to children and children are growing beards and things like that. We're not giving hormones to children. Um, so it's, it's very, very difficult to access services for children and adolescents in Ireland. And even when you do, um, you know, you're put on the long finger with, you know, years of, of uh, talk therapy and things like that. When we should be putting these young people on puberty blockers um, and they're completely reversible. So it's putting, it's putting the young person on a puberty blocker so that they don't go through the wrong puberty and then, you know, have to end up getting surgeries that they may not, might not have needed if they got the right care from the beginning. And do you know what, if that young person then says after a couple of years, do you know what, I maybe like uh, this isn't for me. That's absolutely 100% fine. You take them off the, the blockers and their puberty happens as normal. Uh, we don't prescribe any sort of hormones for anyone under the age of 18, nor have we ever. Or surgeries like the TERFs might be trying to scare everyone. Like I, do, I don't know one surgeon who'd perform a surgery, a gender surgery on someone under the age of 18. Like that's yeah. bizarre. Um, but these are all the kind of things they, they say to try and scare you. Um, and in terms of the Gender Recognition Act, uh, we, we can access that if we are 18 plus and identify as either male or female, but we can't access it. So if you're under 18, it's a very, very long process. You need parental consent. You need to go through the high court, um, which is costly. A lot of people can't afford to do it. Um, and it's just not, it's not available. So what, what there was a, a, a review of the Gender Recognition Act um, that went on from 2018 right up until this year. Uh, a lot of research was done. A lot of public consultations were done. Um, there was a lot of input, but they and the two the two biggest suggestions and recommendations were allowing extending gender recognition to uh, sixteen and seventeen year olds, um, and also uh, allowing for non-binary people to be legally recognised as a third gender. Um, we we thought it was going over the line. Um, Minister Regina Doherty did stellar work on it. Um, she really, really did. Uh, she she was really passionate and she pushed it really hard. And we did think we'd get it over the line, but the government rejected the, those two recommendations, um, which was a, quite a blow for for young trans people and and quite a blow for um, for non-binary people. So, you know, when the government come out with their program and, you know, saying, oh, we're going to look at this. But I mean, Fianna Gael, you turned it down two months ago, three months ago, <laughs> after two years of consultations and, and research. And, you know, the actual wording of um, the new government program <clears throat> is that, that they would uh, commence research to examine arrangements for children under 16. This All this research has been done to a T for the past two years. So basically what they're saying is, oh, we'll start the whole process again that we started two years ago, but they have the information already. They have it all there. So a lot of people got excited when they saw that, but I, I would be very hesitant to get excited about any, any changes anytime soon. Do you think maybe having the Green Party an open, well, supposedly open left, um, left-wing party might help push it along? I mean, I know they could they could say, oh well, the research is already done. Here we go. Maybe we'll try the try and actually get the law passed. Would you have any hope for that? You know, the Green Party are a small fish in a three governments. If it happens, yeah. <laughs> if it happens, yeah. Of course, there's good people in there. There's good people who can advocate for us. But it, essentially, what what where, who it normally comes down to is um, the Attorney General is what it normally comes down to. And from what I know, um, one of the the recommendations was was not put through based on a recommendation from the attorney general not to. So um, it, it stems more than just having it passed. You know, it, it, there's a lot of research. There's a lot of, uh, it, it's put across a lot of desks. So, I mean, even though the information's all there, that what they said, the wording of that is basically, we're not really going to look at it anytime soon, but you look, we'll have a little research into it now, but it's, it's, 
it's it's clever wording that's gotten people excited. Disheartening when you know when you know when you seen behind the curtain. Yeah. Yeah. Um in terms like the maybe if we could end on something a little bit hopeful or perhaps like something that people could use to try and make their world better as opposed to talking about the high flute and politics part. Um it could be said that as a society we've learned some important lessons from the um from the gay community about making life easier for people who are gay and especially when you're um, approaching young people who might be coming out. And I did notice that the vernacular um, for trans people coming out is very similar to the one for gay, because I guess in a world that's designed for people of one type, you when you go against that grain, it is a, an extra challenge. So I wonder, like, as from your own experience and from the experience of your friends and people that you talk to, like, what can people do in their lives? And especially when dealing with with kids and young people to make it easier for someone that might be coming out or going through the process of being trans. Being open, accepting and loving, especially with children all the time. You know, I'd always say give kids space to explore their gender identity. There's, you know, there's nothing harmful about you know, your son wanting to try on a dress and see what it's like. There's nothing harmful about, you know, signing your daughter up to rock climbing if she wants to. It's not, um, you know, giving giving kids a safe environment to explore their gender identity is so, so important because, you know, it takes away if they do decide they are trans and, and it, it does take away then the fear of having to come out um, or the shame that's sometimes associated with it. Uh, and, you know, give them all the time they need. There's no need to rush into anything. Um, and you know, just be kind and, and be accepting. And, you know, even for, Oh, I, I know trans people who've come out in their fifties, seventies even. And, you know, what well, there shouldn't be a big shock factor just to, you know, a congratulations. And if there's anything you need and any, any help you need, let me know. Uh, you know, support is, is, is number one. Um, and knowing what not to say either, you know, people say to me sometimes, oh, have you had this surgery? I'm like, there's no such thing as this surgery. What, you think I go into a hospital and come out and everything's done? Like, it doesn't work like that. Um, so, you know, it's just it's just support. It's, it's also providing support services. So the This Is Me campaign provides support and advice. And Tenny, uh, Transgender Equality Network, do some great uh, support peer support groups and social events and things like that uh, you know just meeting other trans people or parents of trans people it, it can be really empowering um you know and you know respecting people's pronouns which is very easy to do uh you know respecting people's names and going going on the journey positively with someone is is gonna make a huge difference in in how they live their lives going forward i think lessons for us all that's great noah you're a Bloody inspiration. <laughs> Just doing my best. <laughs> <laughs> and, your, and your best is wonderful. Uh, before we go, is there, is there um, some, some trans voices you want to kind of shout about? Or, uh, you, you, you know, we mentioned This Is Me and Tenny. Is there any other organizations or campaigns or things that people should, should be following with to get more literate the, on this subject? Yeah, there's some great um, people to follow online. Um, you know, Aoife Martin um, is one. She's a She's a wonderful trans woman, great voice for the trans community. She's on Twitter. I think it's at Aoife, M-R-T-N on -hmm. Twitter. And then another one I'd like to talk about is Sarah Phillips. She's the the current chair of Tenny and she just knows her stuff inside out. And, you know, is if you want to learn, she's someone that, you know, really explains things well. Um, You know, for young people, there's support in Belong To Youth Services. Uh, They're an LGBT uh, youth service. They do great support groups and and, um, also social groups uh, just for young people to interact and have fun. Uh, And yeah, that's about it, really, for for Irish-based people. And and even, I might suggest, following... um, some trans people living in direct provision in Ireland because if our if what we think our situation for getting healthcare is is, is hard it's, it's I can tell you a hundred times harder for them yeah we need to give a quick shout out to uh, Gail Gore Max as well who um, listener of the show that put us on to yourself yes. Noah um, Max myself and Max have been friends a few years now I think Max turned up at the first protest and uh, he came up from Sligo by himself and sent a text being like I don't really know where I'm going and I said come join us come join us and Max has been involved from 
the very beginning and he's a great advocate and and so is, is his other half Victoria as well so the two of them are brilliant that they are ones to follow also and you might learn some 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 Irish from say, Max yeah, as well Gail Gore yeah. Max it's in the name he's uh He's pushing another agenda as well. Yeah, he did a documentary about recently um, for T.G. Cahir um, about traveling to to Poland for his top surgery. Um, and it's all in, in Irish as go. well, which is great. Amazing. Yeah. I think it's great. the first ever Irish language trans documentary, if I'm not mistaken. Incredible. I will link all of these things in the show notes below for people <laughs> who want to check them out further. Awesome. Along with pictures of King. Oh yeah, okay, I'll send you some. Please, that would be amazing. <laughs> and we definitely need the pride one. I'll send you that one. Incredible. Uh, Noah, thank you so much. This has been absolutely wonderful. No, thank you so much for having me on. So fu- I'm still so fucking zen, Steve. Oh, that podcast may be even more zen. Oh, got a zen motor. Thank you, Noah. That was, that was fantastic. And again... Yeah. Look out for the horse. Look out for a horse. Seriously. Your life's going to change. You're going to look back on 2020. You're not going to remember the fires. You're not going to remember the, the looming threat of world war. You're not going to remember the pandemic. You're not going to remember the, the all the sense, like the systemic racism and census murder of black people. Uh, the murder hornets, whatever they were. Uh, penis the, bees. The penis bees. <laughs> remember the, pe- the, the fucking week we had penis bees? Oh my God the alien invasion that happened in 2020 in August you're not going to remember any of those things you're just going to remember this horse when the mole people came out of the ground to fight back the alien invasion that was when it was like okay 2020 and then the mole people who were made of sauce <laughs> came out <laughs> what is mole? mole is like a sauce it's, it's it's in Mexican cuisine I think it's oh it's the brown sauce yeah, yeah, yeah. it's nice yeah. it's gorgeous yeah it's delicious you know what but else the is people, nice? horses what? Horses, particularly horses. this one. I get the 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 what do you call it? What's that? Parks and Rec. Little Sebastian. Little Sebastian. Yeah, I get it now. I get it. Strong Little Sebastian vibes. King is Ireland's version of Little Sebastian. It really is. You know what else is as good as as a, a tiny horse? Following us on social media at Bottom Politics on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm sure we'll post pictures of King to those. Bottompolitics uh, at gmail.com. Da, 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 da. What else do we got, Steve? If you want to buy us a beer, you can go buy to Kofi. Beer. Yeah, quantumpolitics.com forward slash beer. Drop us a beer, that would be great. And da, 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 da. what else do we have? I'm just thinking about that horse. I think Richie's gone. He's just, he's so zen. He's actually on the I'm ground so, doing this. I'm so zen. So he's a pillow zen, man. I've ascended. I have ascended. I am genuinely feeling a little bit fuzzy. <laughs> it's because you took all that TBD oil. It's probably more than I'm supposed to think. Um, podcast is just a journey of self-medication. Please years. do not listen to What on Politics for your medical CBD-based advice. Read the label. Don't don't do what Richie did. Epic Zen. Check it out. <laughs> we are not sponsored by Epic Zen. <laughs> we are not sponsored by Epic Zen. God, can you imagine if we were? Zen Bros, our, our follow-up podcast will be, for sure. Richie, let's end this. Okay, like the concept of the show in general. No, have I gone too far? <laughs> I mean, this episode. All right, okay, goodbye. Bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.